today. So, Dale. Thank you, Stephen. Man, what an honor it is to be here. What a beautiful, beautiful crowd you are. I loved my time here in Alaska. I loved the cold weather in small portions. I called my wife yesterday. I said, that my, my phone tells me it's 15.8 degrees. She said, it's 70 here. I'm walking the dog. It's been a joy to get to meet you and to know some of you and Hopefully I'll get to know more of you later. I need to say some words of thanks, first of all. Uh, thank you, Tony, for uh, sharing the pulpit with me today and allowing me this time to preach, uh, doing my favorite thing I get to do on earth. And then I'm thankful for my dear, dear friends, uh, Stephen and Emily. They are very, very special people to me. I love them both and both of their daughters and their son-in-law and uh, I know they're blessing you here, and I'm thankful for that. Um, Steve, that introduction was a little much. Um, I was preaching in Ohio a few years ago, in Canton, Ohio, in a gospel meeting. And I don't know if you've ever been to Canton, Ohio, but there's only one thing you do in Canton, Ohio, and that is you, you go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So I went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame on a Tuesday night, I stayed longer than I should, and on my way back to the church building, I realized I was running at, I was running low on gas. So I pulled off and got some gas. There was a long line, and I, I, I realized I'm going to be late for services. But, you know, uh, it's not bad. I, 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 you know, they, they don't start without the preacher, uh, except that they do start without the preacher because I got there, and they'd already begun it was beautiful. It was a Tuesday night. The building was full, just full crowd. And I found one seat beside an, an, an older lady. And um, we, I sat beside her and I preached that evening. And then after the sermon, all those people walking out and saying all those nice lies they say to preachers after they preach, you know, good sermon, that was really good, that sort of thing. And this lady was standing over the side, the older lady. And, and, and everybody left pretty much. And she walked over and she said, uh, Brother Jenkins, uh, thank you so much for sitting by me tonight. She said, I've been a widow 30 years. I sit by myself every service, and tonight the preacher sat beside me. I felt honored. <clears throat> I did not have the heart to tell it was by accident, but I began the practice of trying to find an older lady to sit with during the services, and uh, I, I enjoyed doing that. I, I don't do that anymore because... I'm now older, and people may talk, so I have to avoid that, right? But uh, I, I was preaching in Kentucky, and I came in, and there were three ladies. They didn't see anybody sitting by themselves. There were three ladies sitting over the side, all of them older, a good bit older than I was, I thought. And so I slid in beside them right before the service began. Is all right if I said, here, yes, it is. And the, the introducer did kind of like Stephen. He, he, he overdid it. He, he was introducing me. He kind of read my bio, and he, he, told, he told a whole lot more than, than is, is true about me. You know, It just really made me sound good. And after he'd gone on quite a while, the oldest lady of the three that was sitting the furthest away from me leaned forward, looked me up and down, and said, well, after all that, you better be good. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen, for that kind introduction. 
I, I don't know about you, but there are, there are certain words that I kind of hate to hear, certain phrases that I do not like. You know, some of them, if you're familiar with this first one, you reveal your age, you know, where's the beef? You know, that one kind of worm holds its way into our mind and into our culture, and it, it stayed with us. Uh, a more contemporary one, you know, that phrase, actually, I really don't like that phrase because, uh, you know, it usually means, when I hear it, I think, is everything the person said before that, has it all been false? Well, actually, so what's, Jesus said, let your yes be yes, your no be no, anything more than that's the evil one. And, and then there's this one, uh, very popular today, sorry, not sorry. I do not like that phrase because it basically says, not only am I not sorry, I'm going to double down on the fact that I'm not sorry, and I'm going to let you know I'm not sorry about what I said. And then there's this one, and this will be as political as I'll get today. Uh, You hear this one about three years ago, it kind of came into vogue. We'll circle back around on that. And what I hear when I hear that is everything, the one thing I know that they're not going to circle back around on is what they just said about. You're not going to hear anything else about that. And then there's this one, think outside the box. I don't know, that one bother, doesn't bother me as much as some of the others because I really don't like living in boxes, but, you know, think outside the box. And then there's, there's this one, the calm before the storm. I can't stand that one. It's a, Brother, everything's going really well for you. Get ready, it's going to go bad. <laughs> it's about as negative you can get, isn't it? Don't like what you have experienced because it's going to get worse. But there's one phrase I hate above all the others. And this one's been around just a few years. You know that one? The new normal. I remember where I was the first time I heard the phrase. And it has a, a catchy ring about it. You don't forget it. I'm not crazy about the new normal. I, I imagine you would all agree with me that the last three or four years have been exceptionally hard on humanity. They've been hard on all of us. I mean, we were hit by this global pandemic that, that, that we did not see on the horizon. And, and, and we went into isolation, and no sooner had, had that happened than we went into uh, uh, some of the worst racial relations that we've seen in our lifetime. Not the worst that have existed in our country, but the worst we've seen in our lifetime. And then we spun into a political cycle that was just vicious. Again, not the worst that's existed, but maybe some of the worst that we've ever seen. And, and from there... There was, a, there was a, the shipping line, supply line problem. And then, then there was a the great walkout where people, you walk in restaurants, and there are tables everywhere, but you can't get a seat because nobody wanted to work. And then there was a, the vaccine or no vaccine, or the mask or no mask. And, and people were fighting about everything. And then there was the war in Ukraine and now in Israel. And I don't know if you're like I am, but... Some mornings I wake up in the morning and before I get out of bed, I kind of think, what's next? What's next? What I've found is that that people are very frustrated with the state of things. It's a frustrating time for us. I mean, people are distracted. I, I don't know what you did in Alaska, but for most people who, when the pandemic hit, had to go into isolation... How long did it take you to realize that you could worship on Sunday morning, but while the service was going on, since you were watching online, you could multitask? I think our kids realized it first. And we became distracted. And I saw a study not long ago 
in the U.S. News and World Report, and it said that since the pandemic, people's attention span has almost divided in half. We become distracted really easy, and then people are depressed. They're depressed. Um, you know, that really didn't begin with the pandemic. It's been a problem in our culture, but that seemed to highlight it. I, I kind of trace it back to in my mind to to July of 1963. July of 63, when Madeleine O'Hare and her forces, some of you remember, got prayer officially outlawed in our schools. Now, prayer was never outlawed in our schools. People have always been praying in our schools, and they still will. I know this, as long as we give tests in school, students are going to pray, right? People are going to pray. But here's what happened. It seemed that from that day forward, God was kind of systematically excluded from each part of our culture in a country that seemed to, once upon a time, have some reliance on faith in God, push God out. And when God is not there, he's going to be replaced by something else. And it was replaced by humanism. You can call it anything you want to, post-modernity, you can call it the way things are today, but it's basically humanism just in a new package. And basically, humanism says man is the ultimate good. And folks, most people aren't dumb. If man's the ultimate good, if men and women are the ultimate good, if humankind is the ultimate good, then I seek what's best for me. Why should I care about you? Why should I care about my community? Why should I care about my country? Why should I care about my spouse? Why should I care about my children? I will crawl and scratch and do everything it takes to bring fulfillment to myself if I'm the ultimate good. And friends, that has led to the largest, the highest percentages of depression among every age group in every category in any civilized country in the world. People are depressed. And not only people depressed, they're disillusioned. <laughs> they're disillusioned. I, I remember when all this started in, in March of 2000. I had uh, preached the week before in, in seven states. I'd preached at my home congregation on Sunday, and then I'd gotten on the road and preached in Kentucky and, and, and Alabama. I'd, I'd gone over to South Carolina on Saturday. I'd preached the Carolina Men's Fellowship, and I'd preached... Uh, Sunday morning, I started a gospel meeting in North Carolina. I'd preached the previous Sunday at Spring Meadows in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and we had 429 people present. And then I preached in North Carolina that Sunday while I was away. Dan Winkler, who worked with us, preached while I was away. We had 473 present. And then I started that meeting on Sunday. And Monday morning, I'm on the treadmill, and my cell phone rings. I answer it, and... It's an elder from the church I started the meeting with in North Carolina. He said, Brother Dale, I hate to tell you this, but the elder's been talking this morning. We're going to cancel the meeting. And, and I spent the next, uh, next three days trying to, trying to get back home. And got back home, and on Sunday at Spring Meadows, we had uh, 21 people present. <laughs> I, I told the elders, I don't know what Dan said last Sunday, but if I'd said it, I think I'd get fired. <laughs> We had all these dreams. You remember, you remember, uh, you remember 2019, going into 2020, 
It was a good time. And I know even here, right? 2020 vision is hanging right there back on the wall. Let's pull forward. I'll tell you to jump in ahead a little bit in this sermon and, and tell you right now, I'm tired of us talking about coming back from the pandemic. Everywhere I go, I, we're, we're making a good comeback. We're coming back. Folks, it's time to stop thinking about coming back. It's time to go forward. God's people advance. God's word goes forward. God's church goes forward. God's kingdom advances. What are you going to do great for the Lord in the future? People are defensive. Somebody said they'll fight at the drop of a hat and they'll provide the hat. <laughs> On a Sunday morning in Anchorage, Alaska with a bunch of Christians who just communed together, I could use two or three words and I could start a fight in this building. People are defensive. They're disconnected. Even today, some folks don't know how to react to other people. Do I hug them? Do I shake their hand? Do I fist bump? Do I just leave them alone? We, we're disconnected from each other. There's a huge disconnect in our, our associations with each other that, that's sad to see. But none of this should shock us, and none of it shocks the Lord. Listen to his words. In this world, the old King James says, you will have tribulation. I like the King James there because it's more ominous and it's sounding, and that's what it feels like lately. We'll have trouble I have trouble. The truth of the matter is that Satan can cause us to move into seclusion. But are you listening, Christian? He cannot overcome the overcomers. I want you to imagine with me for a minute that while I'm preaching today, are you with me? Are you with me, everybody? Imagine with me, I'm preaching today, and in this back door over here, a, man, a mangy dog comes walking in. What would you do? What would you do? Jesse, what would you do? What? Feed it. <laughs> okay. Somebody would pick it up and get it out of here, right? Shoot, I, I preached in Belize, Central America a few years ago, and I kind of afraid of dogs, and I was preaching up there, and there were 21 dogs standing in front of me watching me while I preached. It's an outdoor tent thing. It's like, oh, okay, this is fun. I didn't move the whole time. <laughs> didn't flinch. Became a good ventriloquist. So imagine, so imagine that, that I'm preaching today and a, a, a goat walks in the back door. <clears throat> I was preaching in Alabama and I used this illustration. I said, and what would you do? And some bubba near the front said, we cook that thing. He said, oh. <laughs> uh, imagine that I'm preaching today and a lion walks in. What would you do? <laughs> you would make new exits all over this building, right? <laughs> you know, the text says, we're talking about Satan and what he can do to us. The text says that he walks about, Peter wrote, he walks about, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Like a roaring lion. Watch it. He's not a roaring lion. He's masquerading. James will write, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He's really a coward, but he acts like he's all, all power. But he's not. He doesn't have that kind of power over us. But he's sitting back, waiting to see what he can do. 
given the opportunity, he will devour you and destroy your spirit. And he knows your triggers. He knows what will send you spiraling away from the way you know a Christian should behave. He, if he can get you to focus on blank and blank and blank, you can fill in the blanks in your own life. He knows he can pull you away from God. And, and those blanks may be good things. I, I even hate to talk about it, but, but somebody says, you know, my family is first in my life. I love family. I do. But if your family is first in your life, you're going to neglect the Lord and you're not going to be able to lead your children to the Lord. Somebody says, my career is first in my life. I believe in work and the Bible teaches we should. But if that's first in your life, it'll get in the way of your spiritual health. Satan knows what to use against you. I love Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. That says they overcame them by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and because they loved not their own lives to the death. Paul writes that we're to put on the full armor of God so we can stand against the old King James, the wiles, NIV, the tricks, ESV, the schemes of the devil. One of Satan's favorite schemes has been making little things become bigger. Have you noticed that? Things that didn't seem to matter as much in the past have become huge in some people's lives. Things we didn't really have time to focus on before seem to dominate us. I don't often quote Ann Murray in my sermons, but I tell you, I agree with her today. I sure could use a little good news today. And couldn't you? There's plenty of bad news. Listen carefully. All the good in the world, all the good in the world comes from God. If there is good in this world, it is from God and because of God. Anything good in this world is of God. All the good in the world comes from God. James wrote it this way. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That little phrase, shadow due to change, reveals how different God is from me. With me, they're shadowed you to change. I, I, I didn't know this, really, until a few years ago. My, my, my sons, Steve, Stephen mentioned, they're, they're 39 and 37, so they've grown a long time. But I didn't realize that when they were young and I would come home in the evening, they would sometimes wait and they would go to Melanie, my wife. Some of you will relate to this. They'd go to my wife, Melanie, and they'd say, uh, what kind of mood is dad in? Right? Shadowed you to change. You get on the road and there's more ice than normal. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Just trying to relate. <laughs> and you slide more than you planned on sliding. Do you slide up here? Surely you do. <laughs> you have to. And, 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 sh- and you, you shadowed you to change. You drive through Chick-fil-A. You got a Chick-fil-A up here? Don't have a Chick-fil-A. Oh, God bless you people. Somebody buy one and open it. You'll do well, okay? You've heard of it, though. You drive through Chick-fil-A and they get your order wrong. Well, Chick-fil-A never gets your order wrong. You drive through McDonald's, they get your order wrong. 
They put uh, an egg on your cheese and, and sausage biscuit. You take a bite of it, and your whole day's ruined. Really? <laughs> you, you see somebody at work that you'd rather not deal with or difficult to deal with, shadowed you to change. God is different than we are. So much different. So listen, as a Christian today, our mission, our mission is to spread that good that's in the world, to herald it, to promote it, to crusoe it, to let it be heard. You know this, don't you? God's best message is simply good news. What if we determined to be the good news people in this world? Well, what if when people saw us coming, they said good news is coming? Well, that make everything better. I, I've been preaching now for about 45 years. And uh, most of that time has been spent in local congregations. And now that I'm no longer employed by a local congregation, there's some things I can say that I couldn't say before my older son Philip says, and you need to write a book and say on things you couldn't say before you can say now. I, I, I don't know that. It would probably be a bestseller, but... Uh, <laughs> It'd probably be smart for the reader to write it. But when I was preaching for a local church, there were people in every congregation I ever worked with that when I saw them coming, because I was a preacher, I was kind to them and nice to them and because I think Christians ought to behave that way I was. But if I'd done what I wanted to, I would have turned and run the other way. Because every time I saw them coming, I knew what was coming. It was bad news. I, I, let, let me illustrate I remember one Sunday morning at, at Spring Meadows. It had been a great day. We had over 500 people present. The singing had been outstanding. Uh, I had a sermon that I was rarely have a sermon where I was so excited. I was fired up about that sermon. Couldn't wait to preach it. I thought this is going to be good. I felt good about it. I, I, was, I was, excuse me, I was standing right over here. I'm not trying to get in front. I was standing right over here, the second row. There were five rows of young people in the front and I was, man, I was ready to preach. Our song leader Larry Arnold was leading and the singing was fabulous. And uh, Lou, we'll call her. That's not her name. But Lou, we'll, I'll call her. She walked up to me and she, she tapped me on the shoulder, one of our young adults, and she tapped me on the shoulder and I knew as soon as I looked down, I knew as soon as I looked down at Lou that this isn't going to be good because it was never good when she came up. And she, before, she, before I tell you what she said, let me, let me give you a little history here. Uh, I got all my technical skills when it comes to repairing things from my dad. So one time, uh, that, that, uh, this is a horrible illustration, but it's the best I can do, that, that ball that's in the tank of the toilet stopped working correctly and we had to replace it so dad went to the hardware store got a new ball and he's he's taking the old one off and and he's using his his vice grips for it because it's really stuck kind of and he he's using his vice grips and and in, in using his vice grips he he brings them down and he hits the tank you're with me aren't you and the tank breaks 
So we go back to the hardware store. We buy a tank now. We get back to the house. He's setting the tank. The tank is a little wet on the bottom because it's been sitting on the floor as he's getting it ready. And he's lifting the tank up to put it on the, on the bowl. He's lifting the tank up and he lifts it up and he's setting it and it slips. And it falls and it breaks and it breaks the bowl and it breaks the tank. I got all my technical skills when it comes to repairing things from my dad. So, Lou, standing beside me, tapped me on the shoulder, and she said, Brother Dale, I'm ready to preach. I am fired up. She said, uh, the commode in the ladies' bathroom is broken. Ever know people that they're bad news every time they come around? What if we became known as the good news people? Uh, let me ask you, wouldn't that make everything better? Wouldn't that attract more people to the Anchorage congregation if you were a people of good news? That when people walked in that door, they heard good news? Yes, we share our burdens. Yes, we share our struggles. But there's good news. Christ is risen, and God has given us all the good that's in the world. Listen carefully. Because the gospel is in my life, it ought to mean good news to everybody in my life, not just to me. Because the gospel is in my life, it ought to mean good news to everybody in my life, and not just to me. So this morning, I want for just a few moments to lift up your head and your heart and your spirit. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to open the book of Romans. Over in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes in this, this book that is so beautiful. Uh, the first three chapters are, are so horrible. From chapter 1, he says, um, gives us his theme in chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also. And he says, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and all in I forgot you were back there. You with me? Well, you're good. <laughs> all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. He mentions two groups there, the ungodly and the righteous. In chapter 1, the rest of it talks about the ungodly. They should have known about God, but they did not. The chapter 2 talks about the unrighteous. It was the Jewish people who had every advantage, but instead of using that advantage to glorify God, they used it as a license for sin. They thought it made them special, and so they tried to act like they were above the law. Chapter 3, he concludes, verse 23, you know it, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. From chapter 1, verse 7, 1 through 3, is a world without Christ. He said they did not glorify God. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Does it sound like the front page of our newspapers? They, they exchanged the natural use to the unnatural use. Men went after men. Women went after women. Does that sound vaguely familiar? It's a world without Christ. Chapter 4, we have a man introduced to us. His name's Abraham. And three times, four times in the Bible, two times in this chapter, four times in the Bible, two times in this chapter, we have a concept Abraham believed God, the text says, was counted to him for righteousness. And then you come to chapter 5, and you have the beauty, beauty of chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, where you have words like this that have disappeared from the text, peace 
and grace in Christ. In chapter 5, verse 6, verse 8, verse 10, he'll say we were enemies, we were sinners, or strangers, and we were aliens. Verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10, the answer to all three of those, if you look at those verses, is Christ himself. By the time we get to chapter 12, I could do the rest of that, but we don't have time. By the time we get to chapter 12, he says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. I like to call that the disposition of the Christian. Here it is. If you're going to be a healthy Christian, you need to be positive and patient and prayerful. There's our disposition. I'll tell you something. This world is filled with negativity. And this world is, is searching for hope. It's hungry for hope. How many of you remember this little girl? Anybody remember? Who is it? Haley Mills. Good job. So she she started a movie in 1960 based on a book written in 1913. The book and movie were both called Pollyanna. It's the story of a little girl who goes off and and, uh, lives with some relatives who are not very good people. Excuse me, her mom and dad die. And then she's sent off to live with some relatives who weren't very good people in a town that wasn't a very good town. Everybody was miserable. Everybody's unhappy. Everything's bad in that town. It's just gloomy, everything about it. But it, she goes around and she just kind of spreads pixie dust everywhere she goes. She's just happy all the time. And in the movie, someone walks up to her and says, how can you be so happy when everything's so bad? I want you to hear her answer. She said, because I made a decision to be happy. And y'all nod and agree. And I nod and I disagree. That sounds really good on the surface. But that doesn't work very well when your boss calls you in and says, listen, I know you've worked here 30 years, but the technology's advanced beyond you. We've got to go with someone younger. It, it doesn't work very well when the doctor comes in and says, I'm sorry, it's cancer. And I don't think there's anything we can do about it. It doesn't work very well when you stand beside the grave of your spouse. It doesn't work very well when your children come in and say, I know what you taught us, but we've decided to live a different lifestyle. Just being happy to be happy doesn't take care of those things. It's got to be based on something more than that. Christianity doesn't come along and say, oh, just be happy Christians, happy, happy Christians all the time. And what I want to do today is I want to take you away from all the negative that might be in your heart and your mind in the world today for a few minutes and I want us to look at all the good in the world but what I'm going to look at is in Romans chapter 8 so if you've got your Bible Romans chapter 8 is our text today for those of you who like to watch the clock that was my introduction but we'll move fast here okay I love Romans 8 it begins with no condemnation ends with no separation in the middle of it, he gives us seven reminders of why Christians can be the most positive people in the world. These are concrete reminders. These aren't just pie-in-the-sky stuff. These are real reasons. As I work through them, I want you to think in your mind, here are reasons that I can be joyful regardless of what tomorrow morning holds, regardless of what I'm carrying in my heart right now that is bringing it down. 
These are concrete reasons. Number one, he says in verse one, there is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What a world we live in. The fact is, your coach may criticize you. Your parents may cut you. Your spouse may critique you. And you may, your culture may cancel you. And you may experience the worst kind of condemnation there is, self-condemnation. We look in the mirror and you say, I'm not good enough, I'm not enough, I don't measure up, I can't succeed. You may experience self-condemnation. But watch it carefully. The text says that in Christ there is no condemnation. No condemnation of them that are in Christ. Today, if you're a guest and you're not a member of this family, you need to know something about this family. This is a group of people who get together and try to do things the way the Bible teaches them. And what the Bible says about being in Christ in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, is one is baptized into Christ. And if you want to be a part of this family, all you've got to do is do what the Bible says. You've got to be baptized into Christ. As Peter says on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, for the forgiveness of your sins. No condemnation. No guilt. All the anxiety that we carry around in baskets full of baskets full of anxiety and reasons. I'm not saying you'll never be anxious again. I'm not saying that. But you can turn that over to Christ. N- number two, he says in verse two, through Christ the law of the Spirit has set me free from the law of sin and death. Here's the law of sin and death. You ready? It's simple. You sin, you die. You sin, you die. It may not be immediately physically. You die spiritually immediately. You're going to die physically eventually. What the text says is in Christ we're set free from that law. The disciples must have thought Jesus was a little slow. Their friend John had died. And Jesus says he's asleep. And they must have thought he's daft. What are you saying? He's asleep. He's dead. What I think is that Jesus knew, John chapter 11, Jesus knew that there's such a thin line between this life and the life to come for the believer that's no really different than sleep. You go to sleep in this world and you'll wake up with Christ. How marvelous. I don't have to fear the law of sin and death any longer. As a Christian, I can go boldly to the throne of Christ and say, I know when this life is over, the worst thing somebody could do for me is kill me, but in a sense, that'd be the best thing somebody could do for me because I get to be with Christ forever. Number three, he says, in this same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Uh, some of you know that verse is actually talking about our prayer life. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever not know what to pray? Ever not know what to pray? My phone rang at 2 in the morning. It was John Carr. Through broken words, John said, My wife and I woke up in the night about an hour ago and went in the bedroom where our twins were, less than two years old. And both of them were dead. Brother Dale, would you come pray with us? 
You ever not know what to pray? My brother-in-law was studying to preach the gospel. Fried Hardeman, he was driving back from his home in Roanoke, Alabama to Henderson, Tennessee. And a drug driver got on the wrong side of the interstate, hit him head on, and he died. And my father-in-law called and said, you've got to tell Melanie, your wife, you've got to tell Melanie. And I told her. And we cried. But I knew we needed to pray. You ever not know what to pray? Those are kind of heavy. Let me give you one not quite as heavy. Um, I, I've been at Spring Meadows for several years and uh, preaching and couple came to the elders and said we'd like to meet with the elders and they said we'd like for Dale to meet with us as well and I was happy to do so I've kind of always wanted to be an elder you know it's kind of kind of be nice there are real fun things about it there are challenges to it but there's real fun things about it too you get to help people and be part of their life will you meet with us I met with them they came in the room with the five elders and myself and this couple and and we had small talk for a little while and then one of the elders, Brother Bud, said, well, what do we need to talk about? And Are you ready? The woman said something to us that you do not see coming. You ready? She said, our house is haunted. <laughs> Told you you didn't see it coming. <laughs> we didn't either. They said, uh, they talked on, they said, we'd like for the elders to come over and, and pray with us. So they talked a while longer. They left. They set up a time Thursday night to go talk to them and pray with them. And, and, and after they left, the elders talked a while. And then, then one of them looked at me and said, uh, Dale, you and Brother Tom are going to see them. And what I wanted to say is, <clears throat> I'm not an elder. I didn't say that. I said, yes, okay. So Thursday night, went over to their house. We, we walked in the foyer, visited a few minutes. And, and then Tom said, Tom's a, a pharmacist, genius man, fun to be around, great communicator, level-headed, seems to always know the right thing to say. And in my dealings with him, I've never heard him where he didn't know the right thing to say. Tom said, so what's going on? So they, they took us to the den. They sat us down, 100-year-old house. And... and and they said, uh, every once in a while we're sitting in this house at night and we'll hear creaks, we'll hear the house, we'll hear creaking. Now, what you need to know right now is that uh, there are two of me. Um, most people don't know that, especially people who hear me one time. Uh, there's Dale Jenkins, the guy that Stephen introduced a minute ago. There's another guy that lives inside me named Dale Jerkins. He shows up periodically. They said, um, the house, Dale Jerkins really wanted to talk. He wanted to say, it's a 100-year-old house, 100-year-old house is Creek. But I didn't say that. Tom said, that's quite interesting. Anything else? I didn't say a word. They said, they took us out in the, the hallway, long hallway. And they said, we'll be standing here in the hallway every once in a while, and we'll feel a cold rush of wind come through. And Tom said, that's fascinating. He said, do you... What, what do you think it is? I wanted to say there's a return vent right over there, but I didn't say that. That's what Dale Jerkins wanted to say. I kept quiet. They said, we think that is the ghost moving through us. And Tom said, well, that's a, never thought of that. That's amazing. That's interesting. 
They took us back to the back bedroom where the, the grandmother had died. And uh, that's where they, the grandmoms who they've always haunting the house. And they said, we're sitting here sometimes and we'll walk back to this bedroom and, and we'll see and the rocker will, will suddenly move a little bit and the, the door will sometimes open and close a little bit by itself and, and we think sort of the ghost lives in here. I've not said a word. Mr. Tom, who has all the right words, had spoken. Tom looked at me and he said, Brother Dale, lead us in a prayer. <laughs> you ever not know what to pray? The text says the Spirit helps us in those moments. Number four, verse 28 says, we know that all things work for the good of those, to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That is one of the most misused verses in the Bible. It doesn't say that everything happens in the life of a Christian is good. It says God can take even the evil, even the difficult in your life, and use it His delight if we will be faithful to Him. So my son lost a baby, he and his wife. And he was angry at God and everybody else for a while. And he called me one day and he said, Dad, I think I'm getting better. I said, wonderful, what do you think changed? He said, I decided that the rest of my life I'm going to be dealing with young people and young families. And I've got to be healthy and know how to process this so I can help them. My brother's wife, Laura, my brother Jeff's wife, Laura, died four years and a couple months ago. And um, not long before she died, he had spent over a year just basically by her side. She'd had cancer for 35 years. She did fine with it until the last year, and it, it got her. She lived longer than they thought she'd live. But he called me a couple of months before she passed away and he said, can we meet? I need to talk. Normally, these are the things I talk to Laura about, but I need to talk to somebody else. Can we talk? And so I said, sure. And we flew down to Birmingham, Alabama and we met and talked. And he said, if this ends where it looks like it's going to end, it won't be very long, maybe two or three months. He said, I'm going to sell the house. I can't stay in that house. I don't want to stay in that house anymore. Some of you understand that. He said, uh, I don't think I can preach for a local church anymore. I'm going to go out on the road and, and preach for congregations all over and try to help more churches than just one congregation. I, I understand. He said, I don't want to sit in my house and get fat and lazy. He said, so he wrote a book called Walking Through the Valley, the Shadow of the Valley. It's on dealing with grief. Excellent book. We literally give away hundreds and hundreds of them every year. If you'd like a copy of that book, maybe you've lost a loved one or, or maybe, uh, maybe somebody in your family has lost someone, if you'll write down your name and address, we will, we'll ship you one, no charge. You see what he did? He took his grief and he made something of it. Uh, here's what I know, that in this audience, anything that any of you will experience, someone else in this congregation either has or will experience in the future. And all those one another passages in the Bible, that's a lot of what they're about. Old Texas preacher used to say, there's a hurting in every pew. I don't know what you've experienced, 
But you can wallow in that pity or you can get angry at God and everybody that has flesh on them or you can, you can, you can, you can be mean to people or you can, be, you can disconnect from culture. You can build walls around yourself or you can say, God, I'm going to take this and I'm going to use this to your glory. There's bad in this world. But the good's in Christ. And you can use the bad in this world to his glory. Number five, the text says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Are you listening today? Hear these words. God is for you. If God's for us, who can be against us? And he's for you. My dad always said, God plus one always equals a majority. And number six, verse 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It's a little bit of a tongue twister verse that basically means if God loved you enough to take care of the biggest problem in your life, the problem of sin, don't you think he loves you enough to take care of other, all the other problems? Take those problems to him. This world's a sad place. You want joy in this world? Take your difficulties to God. Number seven, this great verse that you've heard all your life. If you're a Christian, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, things present, things to come, the future, the past, powers, height, death, anything, anything that's been created, anything, all of creation, shall be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. My friends, that's all the good in the world. I don't know what you're facing this week, but I hope you'll change your perspective, that you'll see it differently. And it's my prayer for you today that you will find all the good in the world. If you're not a part of this family, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a member of the body of Christ, Today we will baptize you into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins based on your confession and your desire to live from him, for him. And you'll have a family to help you. And if you're his child and you've left him, will you come home? Will you come as we stand to sing?